0: One of the things that your pastors here at the Mission Church are in entirely unified, unanimous, hearty, convictional agreement is that we want for each and every one of you to become a committed member of a local church. In fact, we believe that it is not only most God glorifying, but it is also. The path to your greatest joy for you to do so. And our desire for you to become a committed member of a local church is greater than our desire for you to be a member at this church. In other words, as much as we would want for you to remain and stay in fellowship with us, our desire for you to be at a church that you can commit to that is both gospel-breathing and Christ-exalting is a higher commitment. We want that for you, that if you can't become a member here for any one of a number of convictional reasons, that you would find a church that you can sufficiently engage in membership with. I hope that as we walk through our passages this morning, I can make a case for you. I can at least provide a basis for why it is that we all unanimously agree on that as your pastors here. We've got a lot to get through today, so we're going to dive right into our text, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. That's our launchpad text. We're going to start there as we begin answering some questions and then asking more questions about Christian local church membership. So I want to go ahead and pray, then read this text and begin explaining. So let's pray together. Father, this morning, it is our great desire to not add anything to nor take anything away from your word. It is our desire to take not only the individual verses of the Bible and to apply them to our life, but to take the collective teaching of the entirety of sacred scripture into account as we live out our lives. Father, I ask that you would help us as we walk through a a topic that I think is critical in our day, that I know that some have reservations for, I know that others would like clarity and answers to questions about. And so, Lord, I pray that we can uh, at least in some measure adequately walk through some of this today so that we'd be able to see things together. Lord, complete my joy this morning by making us one in mind regarding this topic. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a rather lengthy passage. I'm going to go ahead and just put it up on the screen. If you have it with your Bible, you could go through that way. It'd be a little easier for you to follow along, perhaps. members of it. This critical and perhaps even famous passage by the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians introduces by way of illustration the idea that each believer is a member of a body. So simply put, by being a Christian, you are a member of the universal church. By merit of being regenerate, believing in Jesus for your salvation, you are a member. In fact, Paul even writes in here, as you may have seen as we walk through this, that even if the eye were to say, well, I'm not part of the body, yeah, you are. Even if the foot or the hand were to try to say, I'm not part, yes, you are. You certainly are. Now, of course, the word member here refers to parts or pieces of a human body. Eye, hand, foot, ear, And Paul uses those parts as an illustration for Christ's church. That's why we use the terminology members and membership when we talk about commitment to a local church body because it's the kind of language the New Testament uses. It's an illustration of something bigger. But it quickly becomes clear that Paul is talking about more than just the universal church Verse 26, in fact, as we get to the very end there, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is not talking about your hand and your foot any longer. It's talking about us. My left hand doesn't hurt when my right hand does. My foot doesn't hurt when my eye hurts. Clearly, he's switching gears in his illustration to talk about us as members individually of a universal church. But this kind of rejoicing and suffering together requires that you know... The sufferings and rejoicings of a church, a local church. In other words, did you know about the sufferings that took place in India this morning in the Christian church universal? Did you know about the things worth rejoicing about in South Africa when the Christians gathered there this morning? You and I know about the things that happened in a local church, and those are the things that we suffer for, we suffer with and alongside. Those are the things we rejoice over So Paul is putting into his universal church membership teaching cues that point to something that is manifestly local, something that is experienced in tighter groups than just the broader community of universal Christianity. And not only that, but Paul immediately from this passage goes on to the lesson of the illustration and applying that lesson to the local church in Corinth. In other words, Corinthian church, because you're members of the universal church, you ought to operate in membership in your local church in such and such a way. That's how he continues the rest of the book. Very specific, practical advice and counsel, instruction given to the local church at Corinth. I spent time in our first sermon in this series, in fact, considerable time, explaining the difference between the universal in the local church. I know I'm making mention of that right now. It's built on what I've previously walked through, but just by by a quick way of reminder, in the New Testament, the word for church, ecclesia, is applied both to universal and local contexts. and I showed you a handful of verses. Today, just to remind you, I want to show you two of them that we can point to to see, look, Paul has in mind sometimes a universal context and then sometimes a smaller, little c church, a local context. So Ephesians 1.22 it's an example of universal church, talking about Jesus, what the Father does for His Son and giving Him the church. And He, God the Father, put all things under His, Jesus' feet, and gave Him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. This kind of language does not mean that He's only the head of the church in Ephesus and that there will be some other being who was head over the church in South Jordan. But Jesus is the head of the church, universal. One other example of a local context is Acts 15, 41. And he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, the multiple, individual, local corporate gatherings of believers in isolated places. One of the things that I explained then, and I need to re-articulate now so that before we get any farther you understand what's being said about membership, you must hold your membership in the universal church as your primary membership. Now certainly it means higher loyalty, primary membership over and above a local church, but it even means over and above any other kind of commitment that you have. Membership in the universal church quite simply means that you are a believer and you are a regenerate person, you are elect of God, that you are an adopted son or daughter of the king. In other words, if you make a commitment to a local church and that local church were to irreparably apostatize, you should leave that local church because you have a higher loyalty to God's universal church. You have a higher loyalty to your being a Christian than you do to being a member of that individual local church. You should go find another local church. But the Christians in the New Testament, they saw themselves the same way Paul breaks down here with these both uses of church. They saw themselves as members of both the universal church and as members of individual local churches. So I'm going to take a stab at a quick definition For us this morning, it's a stab because I don't have one verse that I go. This is the definition of it. So this is a, this is I think a helpful launchpad for us today. This is what we're going to define local church membership as. Local church membership is at least these things: a particular commitment to a local church body that is mutually affirmed and publicly recognized. We're going to spend some time here today, so I'm going to walk through this again. A local church membership is a particular commitment to a local church body that is mutually affirmed and publicly recognized. My hope is to try to show you my basis for that statement for the rest of our time, and you judge for yourselves if this holds up. Let's look at this one part at a time. First, local church membership is a particular commitment to a local church body. That is, it is a specific kind of commitment to one local church body over and above another local church body. When I introduced this sermon series a couple weeks ago, and I started by just what is the church, I gave you a flow and a, and a, a quick chart that I put on the slide for you of dates that were significant in the mission church coming about. And I talked to you about when we first announced to our church in Chicago, we were moving to Utah to plant here. And then when we first gathered here, when we first had communion here, when we first incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit in Utah, when we, when we first had baptisms together, when we first had membership and plurality of elders, and when we got a building and all those things. You can go back and listen to that. But I asked the question when did the mission church become a church? There was a point where it didn't exist, and now it does. At what point along that line did we become a church? And I've been teasing you with that question ever since we started because I want you to think critically about what does God say a church is. My hope is that by the end of the series, I'll give you the tools needed to answer that question. One of the most basic requirements of a local church is Christians who are committed to be a part of it. It's not a church if it doesn't have Christians who are committed to it. I told you in our little list of dates that the first time we gathered in Laura and I in our living room in the west side of South Jordan over here with like, I think it was four families, was that the first time we were a church because we were gathered together? We're always universally part of the church if we're believers. Is that a local church? I think the answer would be No. And the reason that I told you before why I think the answer is no is because nobody was committed to it. It was an information meeting. In fact, one of the families specifically said, we live far away. We're not coming back. We just want to encourage you. Okay? Which was great. But nobody was in. Nobody had committed to that. No one knew. In fact, they they were all committed members of other churches, other local churches. So for us to say that's a church, well then what happened the next week when there was only one couple? Is that still a church? you think about this. Some might say, well, Matthew 18, 20. Rich, I've got a a verse in my mind. It says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Yes, but that is not a definition of a local church. Local churches don't just blip in and out of existence every time two Christians pass one another on the street. They're made from people who are committed to one another Let me give you a quick example. What's going to happen at 3 a.m. tonight? How many of you are going to be gathered with other believers in Jesus' name? None of you. Unless there's something weird group gathering I don't know about up there. Does that mean the mission church goes out of existence? Because we're not gathered together in Jesus' name? And the next Sunday when we get together we'll be mission church again and then we'll go in and out, in and out, in and out of existence every time we get... No. No, there's something more than just... When we get together, there's something about a commitment to be united with one another around a shared set of values, mutually affirmed, publicly recognized. Commitment. This means that you consider a specific local church, your church home, in a way that you don't think about the church around the corner. You might think of yourself equally as members of the universal body. Amen, and you should. But once you start saying, this is my church home, this is where I regularly attend, this is where I give, this is where I pour out my life, this is where I'm committed, that's, that's a stated and felt commitment to one local church over and above another one. And this doesn't need to make you feel uncomfortable at all. Think about this. Any particular or specific commitments that you make to another person are by definition excluding exclusive so when you commit to attend a local church regularly you are saying you're committing to not attend all the other variety of churches regularly when you commit to join a Bible study on a certain morning of the week you're committing to not join another Bible study on that same morning of the week this is just simple human interaction stuff if you were to right after church today invite another family in the church over to dinner on Tuesday night you would be excluding every other family from that invitation. You would be excluding yourself from being invited because you already have plans. Any commitment we make to one another necessarily excludes other possibilities. It's just natural. This is the way the commitment works. When a man marries a woman, he is saying, I'm going to be exclusive to you and no one else. That's what commitment is. The New Testament Christians had many, such particular and exclusive commitments. Let me show you a few of these. The New Testament commands believers to regularly meet or gather in a local church. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This cannot be done with the universal church. Otherwise, the fact that you have not once met the Christian missionary to Zimbabwe, let alone meet with them regularly, would mean that you are in open sin against God for making a habit of not meeting with them. Of course this is talking about the believers that you have a local connection with. Of course this is talking about the believers that you gather regularly with. The author obviously has a specific Christian group in mind Imagine the Christians in Cyprus who never leave the island of Cyprus. If they did not interact with Christians outside of Cyprus, are they going open sin against God because they haven't met with them? No. They're to regularly meet together. And the kind of things expected in those meetings demand a long-term committed relationship. I want you to consider what the New Testament says about the one-anothers. There are dozens of these one-another type commands in the New Testament. I want to just kind of bullet a bunch of these for you right now. Look at what the New Testament says about how Christians ought to relate to one another. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Stir up one another to love and good works. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Have fellowship with one another. Local church membership is a way that you as a believer say, I commit to do that here this local body. Of course you should seek to do that with believers who are not part of your local gathering. But the kind of relational expectations the New Testament has for believers can only be lived out in long-term commitment with a specific group of Christians, a regular, routine, recurring meeting time with them. Think about that. How do you outdo one another in showing honor if you only meet each other once? How do you live in harmony with one another if you don't spend enough time with one another to have disagreements with one another to overcome in harmony with one another? How do you submit to one another until you, you first guessed and search the scriptures as to how you ought to submit in that way? How do you comfort one another if you're not around for the struggles that they go through? How do you teach one another if you haven't identified who ought to be a teacher? How do you build one another up if it's just a one-time glance in the street when you pass another Christian? This is clearly one another's given that are expected to be lived out in the context of those believers closest to you in a committed local church context. The New Testament expects believers to commit to mutual accountability with a local church. I want you to look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17 for a moment. This is Jesus' words. He says, If your brother, fellow Christian, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. When Jesus says, tell it to the church, he does not mean that the believers here ought to pen a letter and send it to every believer in the world that the universal church knows how to deal with this individual. But clearly, Jesus has in mind a particular local church body where this sort of discipline is dealt with. The New Testament expects believers to commit to local churches and local church disciplines. Additionally, the New Testament expects believers to submit to the leadership of a local church. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, earlier in this same chapter, it identifies those leaders as those who teach you the word and who provide an example of their faith that you should edify. That's the leaders being talked about here. Consider this. When I was in the Marines, I was taught very early on that Every person who served had on their collar or sleeve, depending on what uniform they're wearing, their rank insignia. And as you progressed in rank, you got more stripes or rockers, or you got different symbols that acknowledge a level of authority. And these were universal. It wasn't that each individual unit operated with a certain sense, so that each time you go to a new unit, you have to figure out so what do yours mean? You all knew. If you're in battle and you see a guy with more stripes than you, he's in charge you see a guy was shiny and yours is dull, he's in charge. It's the way that it works all over the place. And you were to obey that leader simply by merit of the fact that he had the rank, irrespective of whether or not you knew him. That's not how it works in the church. As a Christian, it is not your charge to submit to and obey everyone who claims to be a Christian pastor, leader, elder, deacon, something like that. The only way that believers here could be expected to submit to their leaders was that they knew who their leaders were. Additionally, it is not expected that an individual church leader is to keep watch over the souls of every living believer. I think of our young pastor in training here, Bradley. Imagine if that was a pre-qualifier. Bradley, how are you doing on that? Keeping watching on the souls of every human Christian in existence today? Think about that. For the record, we're going to talk a lot more on elders and deacons, pastors, that, the whole leadership structure of a church. That's next week. We're going to spend a lot of time on that if you have questions about there. But the New Testament expects believers to submit to a local leadership, known leadership, tested leadership, those with whom they have a committed relationship. The New Testament is filled with expectations for believers To live in commitment to a known local group of Christians. In fact, this is so plainly evident in the New Testament that many good Christian churches who feel uncomfortable about the formality of membership or that language, they still practice it without calling it membership. We might call this common law membership. This is where churches display features of membership without calling it membership. This is where they say, well, are you committed to our church? Amen. Would you like to be a part of these things? We would would like to expect of you if you're committed to this church, you're part of a small group or you're serving somewhere or you're giving to the church or you're regularly coming. If a church has any genuine expectations for its believers, they're likely practicing common law membership. Just not call it that. This is why we see this everywhere. This is why, while there has been a growing trend in the common day in in our 20th and now 21st century America, Western individualistic culture, we pressed against this, but historically, you'll have a hard time finding any gathering of believers that did not expect any commitment from one another. Good luck. Membership simply, and to start with, is a particular commitment to a local church body. Start there. It's a particular commitment to a local church body. It's not an exhaustive commitment. Your higher commitment is to the universal church. It is a particular commitment to a local church body. So can't membership just be assumed? In other words, Rich, okay, I've been here for a year, let's say, I, I, I come regularly, I, I give, I join others in prayer, a communion, I show up to the events that are going on, I'm in a small group that the church has here. Isn't it enough that I decided in my heart this is my church home? Local church membership is not only a particular commitment to a local church body, but it is mutually affirmed. So isn't it okay that just in my heart I've decided... My husband and I went home. My wife and I went home. We're like, I think we're going to stay at this church. I think we should stay at this church. Isn't that enough? Let me ask you, can you think of any other commitments where there are expectations between two parties that don't demand a stated agreement about those commitments? In any level of formality. Imagine if tomorrow morning I were to call you, maybe 10 a.m., and be like, hey, where were you? You'd be like, uh, what? Yeah, you're my gym buddy. What? Yeah, you're supposed to meet me at the gym and keep me accountable to working out. and stuff. Where were you? I didn't know. Well, oh, I, you, see, you see? You get it? There should have been a mutual agreement. Hey, are we in agreement? You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're, we're going to watch out for each other. You're going to lift. I'm going to lift. I'm going to spot you. Okay, right? It's mutual affirmation. You need to communicate that commitment to a local church. When you feel like, I I think this needs to be our church, you need to to communicate that to the believers, to the members of that church. Look at at the New Testament language in this shared mutual relationship in membership. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with this neighbor, for we are members one of another. There's a one another kind of language being used in the way that we are members it's not that you just determine out here. I think I'm going to member in there sometimes, a member in here. No, you're members one of another. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Romans 12, 4 through 5 continues this together, mutual language. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is, is again, universal context, right? But the idea that our membership with one another is of one another. You belong to each other. This is why membership in a church is not just fill out an online form and send it in. But there's, a, there's, a, there's conversation. You sit down with somebody, talk with somebody. You, you, you share agreements together. You talk about, yeah, I agree on these things. Wait, help, let me, help me understand this so we can get to a sufficient level of agreement for commitment here. Mutual affirmation serves a far more critical function than just letting a local church know you want to join. That's important, but it's much more than that. Your faith needs to be affirmed by other trusted believers. And so, your beliefs. One of the benefits of church membership is that it provides a clear way for leaders of a local church to sit with you, to hear your testimony, to hear you share your beliefs, and then say, Amen! You're one of us! It seems like there's a lack of robust conversation about the most important stuff. It's okay to talk about the weather. It's okay to talk about movies and sports and all these other things. But the stuff that's most critical, we've got to work our whole lives in such a way that this becomes central to us and what we talk about. I, I think it's amazing how many times there are people in our church who I consider like brothers and sisters, like tight with one another. And we'll ask a simple question like, hey, so what does he do for a job? I don't even know. How is it possible for you to be close, friends, to the point that you're literally like a brother or sister with somebody else and have known them and walked through life and pleaded to God with them and cried with them and, and confessed sins with them and you don't know those kind of things? Why? Because you focus on the stuff that matters so infinitely more than where you get your paycheck. This is awesome. This is actually awesome. This is where you do that kind of stuff here. You need to have your faith affirmed by other believers you can't get that affirmation in a vacuum. You need others to affirm it with and for you. This is, we have biblical precedent for this. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul describes after he was converted, went to Arabia, comes back to meet with the brothers in Christ in Jerusalem, they shared notes about their beliefs so that they could mutually affirm one another. In fact, Paul even said it was so affirming to him because he could say, they added nothing to me. I had the gospel. I knew it. They were in unity together in belief and in practice and in understanding. It's actually on that basis that the whole letter of Galatians is written. We're all in agreement. Why would somebody act in a way that doesn't look like we're in agreement? Acts 15 was a time when Christians came gathered around the council in Jerusalem to say, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles who are getting saved? How are we going to do this? And they searched the scriptures and they had people give testimony of, I was there and I witnessed Christians come out of Gentiles. I watched the Holy Spirit come upon them. We we couldn't we had baptized them. We couldn't not baptize them. There was an affirmation, a mutual affirmation. We're in agreement. We believe together. And it was celebrated by the church at large. Mutual affirmation serves that critical function, and it's two-way. This will serve you so well when days get dark. When you're like, okay, Man, it's amazing. Look at this truth I see in here. God loves me even though I'm a sinner. And then in the middle of the night, you have a nagging thought come in your mind. You can't sleep. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I, I feel like because I've sinned, God doesn't love me now. And have, there's, there's no way to, for my God to be pleased in me. And I, I'm going to be damned for all eternity. And what do you do when you wake up? You go to the Lord, you go to the Bible, and you go to your Christian brothers and sisters for affirmation. You need this. And that affirmation is two-way. You need to know what your pastors believe. You need to know it. And if for some reason you have some some rejection of a formality of membership, let's say I can't make a commitment for whatever reason, listen, you've got to know what the pastors you're bringing your family to, what the pastors of the church there believe. Another benefit of formal membership is that there's a built-in mechanism to remind the believers of how important it is to know a church and a pastor and his beliefs and the beliefs of the elders there. Church membership conversations totally honest with you, often end up becoming an off-ramp conversation for someone. Seriously, I, I'm okay to say that. That when you get together with somebody in a room and you begin talking about, like, you go get to coffee together or something, and they're like, hey, let's just see what we believe. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You believe that? You need to ask those questions. You need to get down to that with someone. You need to figure out that with, if this church is led by people that you can Trust. Membership provides an opportunity to do just that. And when there is agreement, there's an opportunity for celebration and for further unity. Oh, oh my goodness, I've always thought that was true. It's so great to know that my pastors believe that too. Amen. Further unity. It's mutually affirmed. It's not just you in private saying, in my heart, I've decided I'm gonna do this. No, it's, it's DTR talk, define the relationship, Right? I remember I, uh, shortly after I started dating Laura, I took her like two, two dates, and um, I had talked with a bunch of the high school guys that I was uh, counseling at that time. I was uh, uh, kind of working as a youth volunteer for a ministry, and I shared with them about how you don't want to lead girls on. You just want to tell them straight. You want them to know like, what your intentions are and where you are with stuff, and if you don't have intentions to marry someone, A, don't date, and if you feel like this person's probably not marriageable, get out now. Like, let her know, you know. I was just trying to give basic, if not immature underdeveloped relationship advice, okay? And I realized that I'd taken Laura on a couple of dates and I hadn't made my intentions really clear. And so I told her that we're gonna go on a a jog. She said, hey, let's go, we're gonna go running together. My wife loves running. And so I was like, yeah, let's go running together. We'll go running at this other park. And so we did, and the next morning she's like, hey, let's go running again in another place. I was like, great, let's do that. I would love to do that. Because I just wanted to spend time with her. I dropped her off at her, her dad's house and I got in the car, started driving away. And I'm like a block away and I thought, no, no, no. I've been counseling this to these guys. i got to practice what I preach. I stopped in the middle of the road, turned around, came back. I knocked on her door and she came to the door and I said, listen, I hate running. But I like you. I just want to spend time with you because I'm serious about where this could go. Okay? That was a quick, down and dirty DTR. I want you to understand this isn't just, hey, we like hanging, no, 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 I like you. For me to go to my buddies and be like, hey, I'm kind of dating this girl. Does she know that? Oh, I should tell her. Mutual affirmation is needed, is needed whenever there's two parties involved in a kind of commitment with one another, okay? You guys know this fundamentally. This is so clear in so many other places. You see how this applies to the church. So so let's say you find a church. You feel like you could commit to a church. Like, okay, I want to commit. I even want to talk to a pastor there. I even want to talk to some of the other members there and we're in agreement. Let's, there's a mutual affirmation here. Is it enough for your membership to be private between you and one other member there, or you and an elder, or the elders there? There's no. Local church membership is a particular commitment to a local church body that is mutually affirmed and publicly recognized. Membership is not a private agreement between two Christians, nor is it a private agreement between a pastor at a church and an individual Christian. I said this at the very beginning of our sermon series. There have been few areas that I've been as convicted were more underdeveloped than some of my views of ecclesiology, how the church ought to operate. So much, in fact, that I've been eager. The elders have been swimming in this stuff for about the past year, six months more specifically, three months more intensely like we we need to make sure that we're we're doing what the bible says believers ought to do and we're we're pastors of this church and we need to make sure we're leading that rightly and one of the areas that i have a greatest regret is that we didn't give this clear dtr this this is this is what it means to commit to the mission church and be part of this local church body and in one very specific area that i've just been cut to the heart is in this one the public recognition of members of the church In other words, I think that I have wrongly led this church to operate in such a way that membership is more a private agreement between elders and a member than it is publicly recognized and celebrated. And for that, I ask your forgiveness. The New Testament makes it so clear that your faith should be publicly recognized and affirmed and celebrated by the whole church. Members of a local church need to know who each other are. I want you to consider this for a moment, just on the principle here. Because some people have a trouble with, with what they feel is a formality of membership. Why should, I, why should I make that public? Like, I know it, the pastor knows it, like, isn't that good enough? Aren't we, aren't we set? Like It feels weird to make it public. Some people feel that way. I, I don't personally, but I, I, I think I might understand how somebody might be able to say that. I want you to consider, the Bible places great importance on outwardly displayed symbols that represent internal spiritual realities. Those words are important. I'm going to say that again. The Bible places great importance on outwardly displayed symbols that represent internal spiritual realities. So consider baptism. When you get baptized, you are showing by display yourself being dead and buried in Christ and brought to new life, like being buried in the waters of baptism and brought back out. Does that make you regenerate? Is that what saves you? No. It's already been true of you, and now the outward display of it is commanded in the New Testament of every believer. Display outwardly what is already true inwardly. How about communion? Do you believe that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf? The wrath that you justly earned by your wickedness, that his body would be broken, that his blood would be poured out. Do you acknowledge that even without taking communion? Yeah, if you're a believer, you do. Necessarily. But when you take communion together, you are acknowledging publicly with an outward display something that's already an internal reality. Membership works like that. You are already, if you are a believer, internally, spiritually, a member of the universal body. The outward display of publicly being recognized as a member of a local church recognizes and points to that already existing inner reality. Because I'm a member of the universal church, I will show and display that by my membership in a local church. It doesn't save you, but it displays what is already true. And we see this in the Bible as well. And the places we see this in the Bible... Or specifically, in the places most clearly, I would say, in the matters of discipline. And this kind of makes sense. If you were to ask, where does the Bible most clearly teach on the intended permanence of marriage as a commitment? The answer would be in the verses that teach on what constitutes a just divorce. That, that's, that's where you'd go for the clearest teaching on the unity, the commitment with one another, would be go to the places that tell you how and when it's appropriate to disassociate or to divorce one another. That, that's where you'd go. The same is true with membership. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a passage where Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church because they were engaging in sinful acts. One guy particularly is sleeping with his stepmother. Messy. And not only was the church at, at best tacitly approving it by not doing anything about it, they were at worst vocally celebrating that it was happening. And Paul is like, nope. <laughs> And In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 2, he says this, Are you, and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And he continues 10 verses later, For what have I to do with judging outsiders, nonbelievers, those outside the church? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? This kind of discipline necessitates Knowing who is inside and who is outside of your local church. We know that Paul expects non believers to be present at a church gathering. In fact, later he'll explicitly talk about that. Hey, what if the non believer who's in your church gathering looks at what you're doing and thinks that it's weird? He deals with this later in the book because he expects non believers are there. So it's not those who are inside the building, it's those who have been publicly recognized by the other believers as a mutually affirmed fellow brother or sister. you got to know one another as members for this to take place. In 2 Corinthians, the second letter, chapter 2, verse 6, this is where Paul is probably talking about this same guy and the fact that the church did respond to his correction here and they did say, if you're not going to repent of this and pretend like it's okay, you can't pretend like everything's good to go. We have to treat you like a non-believer. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2 6, Paul writes about this guy and says, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Paul clearly does not mean the majority of the universal church. The millions, or maybe even at this time, maybe hundreds of thousands that all have to weigh in on a vote. This is the local church body who knew how many they had that they might determine what's a majority of that, at least sufficiently enough for him to call. The majority as doing what they ought to have done. 1 Corinthians six four. This is when this is when believers in a church. This is right after the rebuke about the guy sleeping with his stepmom. He talks about those who have a lawsuit together, and rather than dealing with it as brothers and sisters ought to, they're going to, they're suing one another in lawsuits in the court. And he says this: So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in? The church, how do you know who has standing in the church? Those who've made public commitments to that local church. That's how. This is not a private agreement between a couple people. This is a, the whole church knows who has a good standing in the church. Look at Acts 5, verses 12 through 13. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Join them. What does it mean? Join them. We know they were present for these meetings. Obviously, they're here for this. We know that even later in Acts and the rest of the New Testament, they're present for their gatherings in their houses sometimes as well. Joining a church is not the same as I attend there regularly. And even outsiders knew who had joined. I'm not going to join like he had joined, says in Acts 5. So I'm going to summarize my statement, what I think membership is. Membership is a particular commitment to a local church body that is mutually affirmed and publicly recognized. At its base root, that's what it is. A couple quick notes as we kind of land the plane here. The Bible does not describe the formality of how people joined a church. It just implies, in many places, that they all knew who had joined and what to do with those who were part of those local churches. Now, some Christians see this as a reason to reject the idea of local church membership altogether. They might say, if there isn't a verse that says, become a member in this way, then I won't do it. But I would offer for you to consider there are many truths that we hold from Scripture that we do not get from a single verse, that are not just in one summary verse for you. If I were to say and expect that you are a genuine believer and ask you, if you're a genuine believer in the God of the Bible, you would have to affirm the belief in a Trinitarian God. And if I were to ask you to show me the verse that that teaches you the Trinity, you'd have to rightly say, well, it's the collected teaching of the Old and New Testament is what gives us the greatest fleshed out answer to that. That's exactly what we'd say about membership. Someone says, what is membership? I'm going to need the whole Bible to show you. Someone says, what is the Trinity? I'm going to need the whole Bible to show you. We are too highly committed to the entirety of the Bible to say that we won't act unless something is summarized in one verse. We care too deeply about all of the Bible. Our commitment to the Word is what drives us to it, not away from it. Now, I know that some people have experienced an abuse of local church membership. Maybe in a, maybe in a Christian church. Maybe we're leaders were abusive in some way, or neglectful in some way. Maybe fellow members of a church We're not operating the way the New Testament tells believers to operate in a local church. And maybe that's making you really resistant to the idea of any kind of formal agreement, commitment, and membership. Maybe you come out of a a faith background. Uh, Around here, Mormonism is obviously really prevalent. You come out of another faith background that has some skewed version of membership. Guys, we can't let wrong expressions of Biblical commands keep us from following them. You ought not abuse your children, but that doesn't mean you ought not discipline them rightly. There have been abuses, and we acknowledge these things. And honestly, I know that some people just have a rebellion problem. Real straight, just so you know. Some people just have a rebellious heart. Maybe you know that about yourself. Man, like, I just... I'm American! <laughs> Liberty. <laughs> hey, I'm American. I get it. But I think some people have a refusal to commit to things. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Rich, you lost me at commitment. Okay. I hope you'd reconsider. If this is you, regardless of your reasoning, I just want you to hear this. At the Mission Church, we'll be super patient with you. Super patient with you regarding membership. Hey, I want you to know, you've been here for four weeks, you're not a member yet. Make room doesn't work that way for us. We have a real gentle disposition about this for you. We want to walk you through this. We want to show you in the Bible. I want to convince you of it. Over years if it takes that. I'm going to gently give you the press and say, brother, sister, you need to be a member. Why can't you be a member here? And if there's some nagging, convictional, conscience issue, maybe, maybe we best serve you by helping you find a church home that you can say, ah, conscience, assuaged. Maybe you need that, and we'd we'd love to help you get plugged into a place that you can do that. Or maybe it's something here that just over time we can walk through. You need to know, we're going to be patient with you on this. You should hear, I wish you could like hear the recordings of what the pastors talk about in our gatherings regarding this topic. We just want what's best for you. We really want you to be served and loved and taken care of, and we think this is the best, most God-honoring, joy-giving way that we can do that for you. But we're going to be gentle, we're going to be patient. Lastly, just by way of application, let me encourage you to be slow and deliberate to join a church and even slower to separate. You need to have sufficient confidence that there is enough agreement for long-term unity. I would ask this of any two people who want to get married. Hey, we want to get married. Hey, do you you feel like the amount of time you spent with each other, you can have a sufficient confidence understanding of agreement with one another, and that might vary. Some of you might come and, and I've done this with people. I've met with coffee after one Sunday. They show up on a Monday at a coffee shop. They come out with a, here's a list of questions. Okay. Sounds like we're pretty good. Well, that person might feel more confident to enter into a commitment with the local church faster than another. Another person might say, I kind of want to, smell this out and see this out for a handful of months and and just kind of really make sure that everything checks out, especially if I've been hurt in the past. Amen. Amen. Take your time. But have that in your sights. A desire to commit to a local church. In my experience, many Christians are too unintentional about joining a church and too quick to leave a healthy church. I find both of those things to be true. I bet you it's not at all shocking to hear that. If you've been in the Christian faith for any length of time, you probably know what I mean when I say that. I think too many Christians are too unintentional about joining a church and too quick to leave a healthy church. Preferences regarding music styles, kids ministry programs, personalities of leaders, maybe even conflict with other members, those all play into how we deal with making church decisions, and all of these, I think, may be really important factors in choosing a church to join. But they are most likely, those preference-based things, are insufficient reasons to break fellowship. As with marriage, you need biblical reasons to leave a church. If you're getting ready to leave a church you have membership with, you need to go, this is why, it's right here. This is why you slow to join deliberate, intentional, patient. Let's make sure the boxes are checked. Let's make sure we understand things. Let's make sure we're walking through life with these people well enough to know this is a a body to commit to. And that's that. I want to reiterate what I started at the beginning. The pastors at the Mission Church are in agreement. We want you to become a member at a Christ-exalting, gospel-breathing church. And if you can't do that here, we want to help you find another home you can do it in. And if you're somewhere in between there, I'm not sure yet, We're gonna be patient with you. We wanna help you as we gently encourage for the sake of God's greatest glory and your greatest joy that you'd consider partnering and committing to a local church. Let's pray. Father, I know this morning that this is a complicated thing for many people. Father, I do think that this is more complicated in our individualistic, hyper-individualistic age than it was in the New Testament. And I think that is why some of the teaching is not as explicit as some might want. But Father, I pray that our love for your word will drive us to conclusions that are in your will, Father. So help us to align to what pleases you most. God, our heart is that we honor you, that we, we glorify you more than anything else. And that then we would strengthen believers and that we would reach the lost. And it is the conviction of pastors here, Father, as you have placed in our hearts through your word that this is best done in membership in a local church context. Help those who are struggling, Lord, understand this. Where there is conversation that needs to be had, let us have that, Lord. Let us be honoring with one another. Let's be patient and give charity with one another as we try to make right decisions about these things. Lord, we love you, and we are grateful that we have a higher, more loyal commitment to our universal church roots at any local church that could possibly exist. Help us unite first there that we may unite in local churches as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.